Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. What's up, church? How's it going? Going good? You excited for tomorrow? So you, like, got some good plans or something? No? No plans. Okay, cool. All right. Well, maybe I'll come over and you can cook me some... I'm just kidding. Um, I'll come over. Yeah, anyway. Um, have you, anyone like scary movies? Like scary movies? Anybody? Some of you? Cool. All right, scary movies. So, uh, growing up, I liked scary movies. And uh, growing up, I liked to watch a lot of them. And the thing with scary movies is... Uh, I, I don't know if you ever did this watching scary movies, but like it would be scarier if the thing that was happening in the movie was like plausible enough to happen in real life, right? Like you like hold up. Like if you're watching a movie that it, you know it's unlikely to happen, you're like, ah, that ain't, that ain't very scary. But if it was something that kind of made sense, by the way, if you've got a friend who writes scary movies, you want to keep that person your friend. Because, like, have you ever thought of the fact, like, of the, the Saw movies? You remember those, the Saw movies? Um, like, someone came up with that, right? Like, someone thought of that. That didn't just come out of nowhere. It came out of someone's head. So if you're, like, one of those friends, friends with those kinds of people, you want to stay friends with them because if you're on their bad side, you know they've got some imagination. Like, you don't want to be on that side of. But anyway, like, the, the movies, the scary movies that were more plausible, like, you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Don't know that was like based on a true thing, which was totally different. And it wasn't even in Texas. It was in Wisconsin. But like if you were in Texas at the time, you watch that movie, you're like, huh, no, no. You start hearing chainsaws. Someone's cutting down their tree and you're like, hold up. I'm leaving, you know, like I'm getting out of here, right? So like the more plausible those things were for me, the more scarier it was. And, and back in 2007, there was a, a movie that came out called Paranormal Activity. Anybody remember that that movie, Paranormal Activity? Some of y'all are excited. Okay. Um, <laughs> so like uh, back in 2007, I was 17 and uh, it tells you my age. And um, I was, we went on a, a family trip. I went with uh, my wife's family. Uh, she was my wife at the time, uh, but we did get married like two years later, two, three years later. Anyway, uh, we went to Virginia to visit her sister, and uh, while we were there, someone decided to rent Paranormal Activity, um, and, and we probably went to like Blockbuster to do it. Some of y'all don't know what that is. That's pretty cool. Now I feel old. Okay. Um, so we went there, and we started watching the movie, and I didn't really have any 
foundational belief on the supernatural necessarily. It just kind of made sense that there would be supernatural good and supernatural evil because like you live life and you can kind of see that there's this good and evil kind of thing and like you hear a bunch of ghost stories and all this stuff. Well, like paranormal activity really creeped me out. It really creeped me out because like for most scary movies, the scary person is like a person, you know, like that you can see and you at least have a fighting chance. By the way, why in scary movies when you're running away from the guy who's just walking, why do you keep falling? Right? Y'all ever had dreams like that where you're like trying to run away from, from Jason? He's just walking. He's not even power walking. He's just walking and you keep falling and he's like always there. Why is that? Anyway, um, so... Uh, where was I going with that? Anyway, uh, scary movie. Yeah, so you, you've got you got that, and we watched that movie, scary, Paranormal Activity. And and for me, like you know, in most scary movies, you can see the person and and you know who the enemy is. With this, it was totally different, right? This was like t- tapping into the supernatural kind of evil that you can't see. The invisible, like they're playing with Ouija boards and all this stuff. And something inside of me, even though I didn't have much of a belief system about it, made me feel really off. Like I was creeped out. I did not want to keep watching this. I didn't watch any of the other paranormal activities because there was something about real life. Like something that we all know exists that that tapped into. You see, scary movies are scary because a lot of times we can see that these things kind of happen. Um, and, and I'd say probably most of us would believe that there's at least good and evil, that there's some kind of supernatural good. Even if you don't believe in God, you believe there's some kind of extra thing, like a lot of people do. Um, you believe in supernatural evil, and a lot of people would say, like, ghosts uh, like are just these like lost spirits, like, you know, uh, this lady, I don't want to say anyone's name, that Whitney? I don't if your name's Whitney, I'm sorry. Leave your name Whitney, I'm sorry. Um, but like she died and then she took a wrong turn on her way to, to heaven and, and then she's lost, like hanging out, you know, in Indiana. Like she just, she got lost and now she's haunting people. That's not what the Bible says about ghosts. Okay, y'all know that? Um, the reality, what scripture teaches us is that there is in the invisible realm, like spiritual realm, there are angels of good and then there are also Satan and his demons. And paranormal paranormal activity really tapped into that, the reality of demons. And that made me really feel uncomfortable. But, you know, most of us would believe that those things are true. But the question is, do we live as if it's true? Do we live as if we truly believe that there is an invisible enemy who wants to get us off track, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us and our lives? Do we really believe that? Do we live as if it's true. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be talking about uh, what Jesus said about the presence of evil and what he is going to do and uh, the way he invited us to pray about that. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 13, this is what Jesus tells us we can pray for. He says this, and do not bring us into temptation. He's speaking to God. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that, that word, the Greek word for evil, can be translated evil one in this instance or evil. Either way, it doesn't really change the way this, what this means. It just means that the, there is evil and the rest of scripture tells us that Satan does exist, that he is on earth prowling around like a, like a lion looking for someone to devour. Um, so 
let, let's go back and review just so we can, we can know what we've been working through the rest or this whole series. And this is the last week, by the way. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 9 says this. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. God wants us to have a right view of him for us to see him as our Father because of what Jesus has done. We can look at him and call him our Father because he loves us and we are invited to make his name holy, to honor him because he is holy, he is great, he is powerful, he is amazing. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is inviting us to uh, get off of the throne that we often try to sit on of our own lives and say, uh, Jesus, you are king. Uh, we're not going to sit there. You're the king. You tell us what to do, when to do it, where to go, and how to do it. We're, we're, we're stepping into that space because we want your will to be done because you know much more than us. And then he transitions, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. God cares about your big dreams, but he also cares about your basic needs. And he's inviting us to depend on him for everything. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He wants us to live a life of forgiveness because we have been forgiven by Jesus if we follow him. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The first thing we need to understand in this is that God doesn't tempt us. Satan does. God doesn't tempt us. God allows these things to happen. He allows sometimes for uh, times of testing to happen. So sometimes you'll go through something and you will be tempted, but in every temptation, God leaves a way out. So you can never say, uh, the devil made me do it. Because even though the devil tempted you with something, he kind of gave you something that you could do, God gave you a way out of it. The way you would trust him and, and follow him out of that temptation. So uh, Satan is the one who tempts us. And, and for us, we have to understand that Satan has a plan. He, he is very intentional. He's very organized. He is very, very good at what he does. Uh, this is what scripture says about Satan and his, what they call, schemes. Uh, Ephesians 6.11 says this, Put on the full armor of God. Y'all know that God gave you some armor because we are in a war. This is not like just playtime. This is real talk. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil has a scheme. The devil has a plan. The devil has things he wants to do in your life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.8-11 says this, Therefore, I urge you, so this is Paul speaking to a church in Corinth, and he is encouraging them to reaffirm your love to him, who is him, is a person they had conflict with. To, so, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose, to test your character, to see if you are obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ. Now watch this. So that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. So in the context of this, uh, Paul is inviting them to understand that in conflict, Satan loves conflict because most of us don't know how to deal with it well. Right? Like as we've talked about in past weeks, some of us, we, we have conflict come about and we sometimes try and like brush it under the rug or we put it over in the corner. We just have it piled up in the corner. No one talks about the corner. Everything's fine because it's over there in the corner. No one looks at it. No one talks about it. We don't think about it. We just try to avoid it. 
we try to avoid conflict, we just act like it doesn't happen or it doesn't exist. Or some of us, we have a different tendency, and that is to acknowledge that the conflict is happening, and instead of just confronting someone, we go to destroy them, and we act as if uh, we are, are there to exude vengeance on them and destroy them for having any kind of negative connotation toward us or whatever. Or, or we just have a tendency to not really deal with it at all. We have things that pile in and, and, and boil down into the real depths of our lives. And then it one day pops and we go off. Right? And so Satan loves bitterness, that seed of bitterness, to grow into uh, slander, to gossip, to hatred. And if he's, if he's really on his game and, and the person's really vulnerable, to physical violence. Like, he, he wants to bring that out in every conflict that we have. And so just as an aside, this is all free, by the way. Um, in the next couple of months, we are going to experience something where uh, different people want to drive a wedge between us and other people. Where Because, you know, we're in a political climate, a little, little election thing, little thing happened in November. Uh, many people want you to have a wedge driven between you and others so that you don't listen to them. You only speak what your perspective is. You don't ever listen to them. And if you don't listen to people, you can't love them. And Jesus is inviting us to handle conflict in a better way. To not be driven apart from each other and to love people well. Even when we don't agree. Even when we don't agree. See, following Jesus is exciting, and it's hard, and we need him for it all. So Satan has schemes, and he wants to do some work in our lives. And Satan, he's kind of arrogant. Like, he thought he could tempt Jesus. Jesus. So here's what happens. So Jesus is going to his cousin named John the Baptist. He's like, hey, bro, what up, cuz? I think that's how Jesus would talk. Hey, hey, cuz, can you come and, like, baptize me? And John's like, dude, he would call Jesus dude, for real. Uh, just kidding. Uh, dude, I can't, I don't even deserve to untie your shoes, let alone baptize you. You should be baptizing me. I can't do that. And Jesus is like, dude, I'm the son of God. Just do it, okay? Just pump the brakes on arguing with me. And so John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit ascends on him like a dove from heaven. This is a beautiful picture of the Trinity. God the Father uh, speaks to God the Son. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased as the God the Spirit is ascending and descending on Jesus. And then the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and he fasts, which means he didn't eat anything for 40 days. Not four days, 40 days, y'all. He wasn't just hungry. He was hungry. Y'all know what I mean? Are y'all awake? Somebody at home, let me know. Y'all know what I'm saying? Okay. He was like hungry on the verge of hangry, y'all. Because Jesus was fully God, fully man. Okay, so he was hungry. And so, you know, Satan shows up right then and there. Satan always knows when to show up. It's when we're at our weakest point. When some of us are hangry. When some of us are on our last limb, parents, when they get on your last nerve, that's when he shows up, right? Like your last nerve, your last nerve, because you just done pushed on all of them, and I've got none left except for one, right? And so Satan shows up to, to Jesus, and he starts to tempt him. And he, he tempts him with three different lies that Satan tries to do with us. You see, Satan isn't really creative. He does the same kind of stuff. He's just very persistent, He just keeps trying different things, but in the same kind 
of ways. So he says, the first thing he tells him, he tells Jesus, hey, uh, since you're hungry, man, why don't you take these rocks and turn them into bread? If you are the son of God, this is what he says, if you are the son of God, then turn these rocks into bread. Because you hungry. So do that. If you're the son of God, you can do it. It's no big deal. Like, do it. And, and that tells us the lie that Satan wants us to believe. And that is, you are what you do. If, if you prove your identity, your identity is based on what you do. If you are the son of God, then do this. Then do this. A lot of us, we believe, even though we would never say it, that we are what we do. The first, the, well, maybe the second thing, after you tell someone your name, the next question is, what do you do? Right? That is so attached to our identity that it's, many times we, we look at our worth based on what we do or didn't do. And that is a lie. Jesus responds to him, hey, uh, with, with the word of God, he says, uh, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the Lord. And so he responds with the word of God. Do we know the word of God so that we can uh, get rid of Satan when he tries to tempt us? Do we know the word? We should be people of the word. And then, so that didn't work. So Satan's like, okay, let me try something else. So he says, hey, come with me. And he puts them on, Jesus and Satan are on the pinnacle of the temple. So uh, Jesus can see the whole of Jerusalem and uh, he's up high, y'all. And so Satan says, if you are the son of God, why don't you just jump off? Just jump off. And uh, if you are the son of God, uh, God, the father will send his angels and you won't fall and hit the ground. They'll pick you up. And this is the, the lie that uh, you are, your identity is based on what others think of you, right? Because if the angel showed up, then that would affirm to Jesus that he is the son of God and not doubt his identity. But Jesus, again, responds with scripture. You, do not, you should not test the Lord your God. And then the, the third lie is uh, Jesus is taken by Satan and, and he is uh, shown all of the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, hey, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. All of this. You'll have everything. And that is the lie that your worth is dependent on what you have. Your possessions. And Jesus, once again, denies him, gives him the Heisman, and Satan leaves. And so Jesus is the one who, unlike Adam, when tempted by Satan, didn't sin. And he, he allowed Satan to come and tempt him, I believe, to show us what it looks like so that we are more prepared to deal with the schemes of the devil because we've seen him try and tempt Jesus, our king. See, Satan is like a, a profiler. Uh, anybody like the you know crime shows or whatever? Like an FBI profiler. Studies the criminals uh, to understand what they do, how they think, why they do the things that they do, so that they can get in their head so that they know what they're going to do before they do it. Satan's like a profiler. Like, think about this. Uh, Satan watches us. He studies us. If he had a file on you, like a physical file, what would be in the file? Tendency to gossip. Tendency to rage. Tendency to worry. Tendency to not handle conflict well. What would be in your file? You see, Satan is watching. He's noticing our patterns. And he's watching to see where he can get you. Or maybe this is a better illustration. Since we are uh, like less than seven days from the hopeful start of the NFL season. Amen? Anybody amen? Okay, so Satan's like the offensive coordinator. 
Okay, He's studying the defense of the team that he is going up against. And he's watching to see the weaknesses, to see the patterns. How do they line up? When they line up this way, what do they do? Uh, who, who is their weakest point? Is it the defensive back? Is it a defensive lineman? Who's the weakest point? How can we attack them at their weakest point? Why? Because he wants to win. He wants to win. And so he's watching us to see, okay, when, when they're in this situation, What's their tendency? When are they the most vulnerable to temptation? Is it when everyone leaves and they're home alone? Is it when uh, they see something like this? Is it when they are off to this thing? What is their most vulnerable point? You see, Satan is watching and he's studying and him and his demons are wanting to throw us off of the path that God would have us on. We have to remember that we are in a war. See, we are in a war. We are following the king who came to bring in his kingdom of light, to get rid of the kingdom of darkness, to disrupt it, to totally change what is. And we are on his side, and we are following him, but we are following him into a battle, y'all. You see, God has given us armor to put on because there is a fight to fight. Some of you just thought that when you came to Jesus, like this was like, oh, this is the great, like this is the way to just live a very happy, quiet, chill life. But there is a battle and there is an enemy and he wants to get each and every one of us. See, if we are going to be God's kingdom revolutionaries who are going to bring in the God's kingdom to, to live the way that he's called us to live, to use our love as the greatest weapon against the enemy, then we will be resisted against. But in every temptation, God gives a way out. So we need to be on our guard. We need to understand that there is an enemy, and we need to understand what he does. Back in World War II, there was a German uh, Nazi general. Uh, his nickname was Desert Fox. His name uh, was General Erwin Rommel. And he was in northern Africa, and he was really good. He was really good at what he did. But what the Allies did, uh, he had published some uh, memoirs of his life. And talking about his own strategies and tactics. And so what the Allies did, they started reading it. Started reading his memoirs, trying to get in his head to understand what he's going to do before he did it. And they were able to defeat him because they understood who he was and what he was trying to do and trying to accomplish. And the way he was going to go about it. So they were able to defeat him because they studied what he did. Now, we're not trying to say, I'm not trying to say you should be obsessed with Satan and Satanology. Like that's probably not a good path to go down, but you should at least be aware of his schemes. At least be aware of his tactics, of how he's going to try and attack you. And if we can be aware of his schemes and we can resist him when he tries to attack. You see, he is going to fit, uh, give us temptations that fit us for where we are most vulnerable. So just some examples. To the lustful, he'll come in beauty. To the bold, he'll nudge us towards sensationalism. To the timid, he'll speak about playing it safe and isolating ourselves. To the intelligent, he'll tantalize us with the prospect of knowledge of good and evil. To the ambitious, he will offer power. To the lazy, he'll whisper, why don't you just do it tomorrow? To the goal-oriented, he'll tempt us that the ends justify the means. To the radically committed, he'll preach moderation in all things. It's okay to be a Christian, just don't let it change you. Moderation. In all things. To the people of conviction, he'll entice 
It's just one time. It's okay. It's just one time. You don't have to do it again. It won't hurt anything. So he'll come to us in the ways that he knows we're most vulnerable. But this is what Jesus says. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The one who delivers us is Jesus himself. He is the one who looks at us and he sees our plight. He sees the problem we're in. And he is the one who comes to deliver us. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 1.4 this. He says this. Who, uh, being Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He gave himself for our sins from this to, to, to rescue us from this present evil age. Jesus saw us in our plight. He saw the evil age in the first century, which, by the way, was much worse and much harsher than it is today under Roman oppression in the first century. But we still got some evil because sin has always existed. Right now in the 21st century, our awareness of all of the evil in all of the world has just risen. We've been more aware of what is going on in our world than we were 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 2,000 years ago. Right, but now, but there's never, there was never a time where God needed to increase His knowledge. He has always known all of the evil, all of the good, all of the stuff that's ever happened. He's always been aware of it. He's like, oh, I'm glad that you're starting to become more aware. But He is telling us, hey, I sent Jesus to rescue you from this present evil age. He doesn't look at us in the 21st century and say, look at how sophisticated you are. It's no longer an evil age. No, he knows what we know, and that is there is plenty of evil to go around. You see, he saw us when we were hurting, when we were downcast, when we were beaten up, and when we were bloodied, and when we were on our last, our last nerve, our last thread. And he was the paramedic who rescued us, who picked us up, put us in the ambulance. He's the ambulance driver who took us to the hospital. He's the doctor who fixed us up. He's the nurse who helped the doctor. He's the one who gave his blood as a blood transfusion because the blood that we had was running out and we needed something better. And so he washed us with his blood. Jesus is the rescuer, the one who handled it all. He is the one who gives us hope because he's the one who defeated Satan once and for all. And one day Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire for all time and he will burn forever. Is that good news? Yes, it is good news and we can celebrate because Jesus was king and he defeated him. And so Satan right now is fighting a losing battle, but he's still trying to get us. See, Jesus resisted the devil. He Because he listened to his father. He listened to the spirit. And we can too. This is what it says about our faith in Jesus. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Let me stop there. What is true about Jesus, if you are uh, surrendered to Jesus, it's now true about you. What's true about Jesus is now true about you. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And get this. So what's true about Jesus is true about you. Matthew 3.17. This is what the Father says this. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What's true about Jesus is true about you. This is my Son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. Now God looks at you and says, This is my Son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. This is what I want us to remember. The love of God. The love of God delivers us from the schemes of the evil one. The love of God delivers us from the schemes of the evil one. 
When you are being tempted, the love of God delivers us from the schemes of the evil one. You can always go to him. You can always run to him. You can always trust him. We need to trust our Father. We need to, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to prepare for battle and put on our armor. We need to guard our heart. See, this, this is what Paul says. Like, this is serious stuff, y'all. If, if we weren't in a battle, we wouldn't need any armor. But this is what Paul says we have been given. Ephesians 6, verse 14. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Don't be duped in our day and time when truth is being attacked. Stand with truth like a belt around your waist. Because when you have a belt and your pants don't fit, guess what happens? It doesn't look good, y'all. That was a joke, but it's for real true, though, too. Um, yeah, y'all can laugh. It's okay. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Anybody want some peace? Anybody want some peace? This is interactive. I, I, I'd love for you to talk back. It's good. Uh, I know at home y'all are talking for sure. Okay. In every situation, take up the shield of faith. Get this. This is crazy, y'all. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. He's throwing some arrows at you. He's throwing some flaming arrows. That's some medieval crazy stuff, y'all, but he's doing it. And so he's given us a shield of faith to extinguish that. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Did you notice that in all the things he said, there's only one offensive weapon. There's only one weapon that you fight with. It's not your vengeance. It's not your intellect. It's the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So when Jesus was tempted by Satan, what did he do? He fenced with him and he won because he used the word of God. Do you know your sword? If that's the only weapon y'all got, do you know it? Do you know it? Some of y'all got some weapons in your house. You know the weapons, don't you? Do you know this one? Because this one is much more important. Do you know the weapon? Do you spend some time working with the sword, which is the word of God? Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. We should pray for each other. We need to pray and stay alert. See, there's truth for every lie that Satan tries to give you. Never forget that. When he lies and says, hey, why don't you go ahead and prove your identity, prove your worth by what you do. Go and do that. And if you do that, then you will be worthy of love from God. Uh, This is the truth. Our worth is proven by what Jesus did for you. On the cross, he says, it is done. It is finished. So your worth, your identity does not come from what you do. It comes from what Jesus already did. When he lies and says, hey, you need to establish your identity by what others think of you. Like as long as you are popular at school, uh, as long as everyone likes you, as long as you get enough Instagram likes or TikTok views or whatever, as long as enough people give you a compliment on your new house or your new car, because uh, adults, it's, this is true for us too, uh, we need to understand that our worth doesn't come from that. It doesn't come from what other people think of us. Our identity is established by what God thinks of you. And he thinks very highly of you because he sent his one and only son to die for you. And the other lie is that what you have gives you significance. Never believe that. See, being adopted by God is what gives you significance. He chose you. He saw you as an orphan. And he chose 
you to adopt into his family. And so maybe this week, like what we can do is, is to understand, like out of, coming out of this series as we've been looking at the, what it looks like to pray in such a way where God changes us from the inside out, where, he, uh, where we put ourselves in a position as a posture for him to mold us into his image, where, where we are open to what he wants to do, willing to follow him into whatever it is. Uh, that's what prayer is about. It's not just asking him for some stuff. It's about being in his presence and inviting him to change us and to work in us and to love us and to surround us with his embrace. What if this week, and maybe just for the the rest of your life, maybe your prayer life could be changed. What if you, instead of looking at prayer as like this rote thing where you just like say the things you always say and like saying, Lord, um, please be with me and like do the things, um, please, yeah, like can you uh, protect me on my way to work, protect me on my way home. Like he wants you to pray for more. And so what if we went to him and prayed as a son or a daughter spending time with our father who loves us, who's radically pursued us, who's never going to leave us or forsake us, who's always going to be there for us, who's always going to love us. He knows what you've done. He knows the limitations you've had. He knows that you think like by this time in your life, you thought you'd be further ahead. You thought you'd be doing something different with your life. You thought you'd have more significance or more influence. And he looks at you and says, I love you just as much today as I did the day before and all the days before that. Before you were even around, I loved you. And he looks at us and he says, hey, just come into my presence. I love you. I've proven my love for you. I will continue pursuing you. You just need to come and rest in my embrace. What if we could pray in such a way where we just spent time with the Father who loves us? Because some of us, we need to be reminded That for one, our Father in heaven is so much better. No matter how great our Father on earth was, He's so much better. I want my kids to know that our Heavenly Father is so much better than I am to run to Him. And some of us need to be shown what it looks like to have a Father who loves us, period. Any Father. And our Heavenly Father is there to welcome us into His family, to love us. No matter what we did, no matter what we accomplished or didn't accomplish, no matter what we acquired or didn't acquire, he doesn't say, hey, you need to have these prerequisites. He's saying, hey, surrender to Jesus and you are my child. Surrender to Jesus, you are my child. It's only through him. And so this week, maybe just pray and spend some time with your father. Like just be there relationally. Talk to him. Rest in him. Just be calm and be in his presence. You don't have to try and earn his favor. He's already shown you and showered you with infinite favor because of what Jesus has done for you. So church, that's why I'm encouraging us to do as we close out this series called Disruption because he's enlisted us. He's asking us to be a part of his revolution where the kingdom of light extinguishes the kingdom of darkness. And the more we are tapped in and connected with our father, the more good we'll be able to be for this world. The more good we'll be able to be for our neighbors and our coworkers who need to see what it looks like to follow Jesus in our day and time, to see what it looks like to love people like he did. So that's what we're called to do, church. Would you stand? We're going to pray and we're going to sing. Father, we come to you thanking you for just the fact that you have rescued us. You pursued us. You saw us. You, you saw all the evil that we have done. You saw all the, all the shackles that the evil one had on us. 
You saw us in our plight. You saw us in this evil age. And you came to disrupt that in a good way for us, for our sake. We're so grateful, Lord, that you are the Father who runs after after us, who pursues us, who will never stop. God, we're grateful that we can be called your children, your sons, your daughters. God, help us today to, um, to rest in your embrace, to know and to believe that you love us. And God, by your spirit, help us to be aware of the battle that we are fighting to where we never lose sight of what reality is that we do have in an enemy and we know that we are fighting this fight from a place of victory because you've already earned it you've already accomplished it but god would you hold us would you keep us encourage us to put on the armor every single day to preach the gospel to ourselves so that we can always remember the truth in the face of his lies we love you lord jesus in your name we pray amen